Welcome to Spread the Light, where we use the power of our own stories of lived experience to help dispel stigma and stereotypes, and instead spread hope and light. I'm your host, Dr. Devika Bhushan. I am a pediatrician and a public health practitioner. I'm also a parent, an immigrant, and somebody who lives with bipolar disorder. And today I'm really excited to welcome Gio to the show. Gio Custodio is someone that I've called a longtime friend. We actually met in middle school at the International School of Manila in the Philippines, and we've been close through the years. Today, Gio uses both left and right brain training to help brands and corporations define their values and to build community. She has worked in tech, fashion, publishing, and is currently a communications consultant in retail. She loves to paint, draw, and write in her spare time, is mom to seven dogs and two cats, and is a proud transgendered person. Welcome, Gio. Thanks for being here with us. Thanks for having me. I'm really, really glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about how your trans journey and more broadly your mental health journey began. So for me, I think my transness, my queerness, and my mental health stability or instability existed hand in hand. Like they're inextricable from each other. I think my comfort and my peace with my transness kind of contributed to where I was in terms of the stability of my mental health. And it started from a very young age. I think you talk to anyone who is queer, a lot of them have known that they're different from a very young age, like three years old, four years old, you know. And that's how it was for you as well? Definitely, definitely. And I think I'm one of the lucky ones because from a very young age, I had a very strong sense of self. I knew exactly who I was. I knew exactly who I was not. And I think that helped me navigate just going through the world, which brought its own difficulties because knowing who I am and knowing who I was supposed to be, that's where a lot of the difficulties came from because I knew who I was, but I was always presenting as someone that I knew I was not. And that becomes tough. That becomes tough for a kid. That becomes tough for just about anybody. Yeah. It sounds like it would be exhausting, taxing, and just um, impossible to, to keep up. Exhausting. I think exhausting is the word. And so kind of looking back, you know, through the whole journey, what do you think was the hardest part and... What is one message that you would want to give yourself during that part? The hardest part, I think, definitely, being trans also has its own set of difficulties, its own set of shame and obstacles, as opposed to cis queer people, you know, who are comfortable already with the bodies that they're born in. I mean, more comfortable, I would say. There was a lot of shame with the transness, because... and. Mind you, this was maybe more than 20, 30 years ago when I knew I wasn't like everyone else. And I think it took a lot of soul searching, really deep diving, excavating to find that acceptance that, hey, this is your body. These are your body parts. Doesn't change who you are, you know. And I think the message I would tell my younger self is 
take it easy on yourself. I like that. So you've spoken a bit about kind of that shame that you carry. I'm wondering if you had any kind of external cues around stigma and discrimination as you were going through the world as your early self. Oh, for sure. I mean, back then, it was one thing to be queer, you know, to be gay, to be bi, to be just not what people expect, like, a woman or a man to be, just to deviate anywhere from there. You would always be met with some sort of apprehension, judgment. I think also at the time, transness wasn't an identity that people were familiar with, you know, or that was valid for a lot of people. So, whereas now, like, you have trans personalities in all industries, which is great. And you see them just as humans, you know, who happen to be trans. Whereas I feel growing up, transness always, it was like hyper-focused to what's between your legs, you know. You become just this sexualized fetish, basically. Because back then, the immediate connection between transness was what's between your legs. I think that was the biggest stigma and the biggest kind of difficulty growing up was that everything I was was reduced to just what was between my legs, you know? Forget about the human that I am, my talents, my hopes, my dreams, and everything. Basically, I was a walking sex toy for people, you know? And how do you feel like the cultural context might have intersected with how you were seen or treated? It definitely affected it, definitely. I mean, we both grew up in Manila, you know, so it's, especially back then, quite traditional, you know, very masculine versus feminine, like men had their roles, women had their roles, and... I think you remember this, but I also grew up in a military family, Sure. right? So my dad was in the Air Force, my grandfather was in the Air Force, and masculinity was even more ingrained, you know, and femininity was even more defined within our family. So again, going back to what I said earlier of knowing exactly who I was, I knew also exactly who I needed to pretend to be. And... When I went to college in the U.S., I think that was the first time the word trans even entered my vocabulary, you know? And I was, what, 18? Like, fully formed human, but all of a sudden, my identity was valid. That, okay, this is a person that I am, now I have a word for it, and I'm allowed to become it, you know? You had a whole schema given to you. I mean, the word is so powerful, but it opens up the ability to be part of a movement, in a sense. You find other people who have walked that same path. Exactly. Growing up, I had, there was no one trans that we knew of, I think, like looking back, even just LGBT representation was not as rich as it is now, you know, like there, there really weren't any fully-fleshed gay characters or lesbian characters. They were all tropes, you know? Like Will and Grace, right? I mean, those are the only examples we had back then. Yeah, you know, or there'll be this flamboyant uncle, like in the TV show, that 
no one really says out loud is gay, but yeah. So growing up, I had no role model of what transness could look like. Wow. And you got that in a lot of really powerful ways when you went to college. Can you say more about what that phase was like for you? It was a roller coaster, for sure. And like coming into college as a student, you know that your priority should be your studies, right? But then I felt like I was going through a second puberty, you know, because basically I'm like, who is this person that I'm becoming? Who is this person? And I feel like I was just also very fortunate that I found a good support group there, um, found a lot of good people, a lot of good accepting people from all walks of life, all races, you know, all orientations and gender identities. And it's funny because I sang a cappella in college and my a cappella group was all male, you know, so it was like definitely cishet males, frat, broke kind of dynamic, but it would always be so funny because our a cappella group would travel, right, from city to city. And then obviously after concerts, there'd be parties or we'd go out to the local bars and these big burly guys would always be like there to protect me, you know? If like sketchy guys try and talk to me, they'd be like, Gio, is he okay? I'd be like, yeah, 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 it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah, college was a really, it was an eye-opening, self-exploratory kind of time in my life, yeah. And deeply affirming as well, it sounds like, from all of the experience and recognition and self-awareness and all of that. Also, in college, like, when this idea of transness kind of entered my vocabulary, so I went to a liberal arts school, I was able to actually take classes on gender studies and deviance, and it gave me a richer idea of who I was allowed to become, you know? And I think certain expectations of transness and the fact that those things were defined for me, I was allowed to break them. I was allowed to choose to not follow them, you know? Well, actually, that dovetails really nicely with what I was going to talk to you about next, which is, what is one myth that you'd like to bust? I think I mentioned passing, right? For a trans folks like me, very early on, we are obviously inundated with the idea of what masculine looks like, the idea of what feminine looks like. And for anyone trans, I think the first dip into the transition pool, the first time you dip your toe into it, you kind of put so much pressure on yourself that you have to pass, meaning, you know, look exactly like the gender you're transitioning into. And for me, I think we're at a progressive enough place, you know, in society. Not the ideal place, but progressive enough that people who don't necessarily look like they fall neatly into what a woman looks like or what a man is supposed to look like, I think people can give themselves more of a break, you know, in terms of just the physical. Because I think transness again, inextricable is the outside and the inside, you know? Basically, that's what transness at its root is. Love your body, like, love your body, start from there. It 
sounds so frou-frou and like hyper positive but when i mean love your body it's like just accept it the flaws the things you wish you didn't have the things that you want to change it's there you know and it's something that you have to live with you can choose to change it but that choice i think comes later you need to kind of accept and fully understand that okay this is the vessel i was born into it houses my heart my soul my mind all of it working together am i okay here or are there things i want to change and for me passing has become something that is unimportant to me now before we started recording you asked about pronouns and me still being called sir sometimes you know and literally i can show up to a coffee shop in full on ruffles and heels someone will still call me sir you know and for me that in my mind has nothing to do with me anymore like it's their perception their experiences that makes them call me sir and so for me i'll just allow it like it's not malicious i feel right and so really what you're saying is that there's power in existing in wherever you want to define gender right that you don't have to conform to the binary like this is what feminine must be this is what masculine must be find sort of your own way of expressing your own gender identity and find power really in that yeah exactly i really gravitate towards the prefix the word trans you know cuz basically it just says cross right in my mind crossing doesn't just mean between two points you know i can run around in a circle and cross the entire circle or a field or it doesn't have to just be two points and also who says i can't cross back that's why i like trans as a prefix i feel like it's actually very inclusive and it allows for me to be myself no matter where i find myself in the sphere on a certain day or on the spectrum you know i love that sense of just fluidity around how fluidity yeah that's awesome and i know in the past we've talked about the fact that you know gender affirming medical treatment or surgical treatment is one option but it's not the must do if you walk down this path right you could choose to say yes to one or more of these options you can also choose to say i like where i am physically today and not choose to walk down those options as well for me and this is just my personal opinion my personal experiences i think a lot of the people that i have met and i have had these thoughts as well as to why srs sex reassignment surgery seemed like the most viable option because everyone is also always pressured to find a partner right and going back to this idea of shame of being different a lot of trans people always think i look like this but who's going to choose me with my body parts you know and i think a lot of people think that srs is the answer you know because now i'm a woman but i'm already also a woman i'm already also a man you know and like I am what I am and if anyone is kind of on the fence with SRS like I can guarantee you will find someone who will love all of your body parts and 
those relationships may not last, but they're out there. You know, you will find people. You will find people. I think also on the other side of the conversation, me being a trans person, I also think that a lot of people are being more open and more honest about their attraction. So some individuals may be more into trans people, you know? Like, you know how someone straight will only date the opposite sex, the opposite gender. There are people that really are into trans, and not just as a fetish, but it's because sexually, romantically, that's the kind of person that they can see themselves spending the rest of their lives with, you know? It's compatibility. Absolutely. And so... As you're looking back on this journey, how would you frame what you're most proud of in your life so far? Honestly, I am proudest of the fact that I am close to 40 and I am still walking this earth. Because not a lot of queer kids our age make it this far. Right? It's true. It's true. And like, whenever I find queer people who are older, I am always in awe of their courage, their strength, to have endured, to have persevered, because you can give up, you know, you can check out. And this goes for all people, not just queer people, straight people. Some, like, as SRS seems like that's the only answer. For some people, they're at that point where they think, you know, checking out is the only answer. And I know a lot of queer kids have had those thoughts. A lot of queer kids have had those thoughts. Absolutely. Have you had those thoughts as well? For sure. I think this is the first time I've ever said it out loud. But yeah, for sure. I mean, as a queer kid, military queer kid, you start thinking there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a way out, you know? Like, this can't be my life. And you spiral from there. You spiral from there. Especially if you have an overactive imagination like mine, you know? And high school, right? You read Sylvia Plath, you read all these things, and you're just like, okay, is this inspiration or ideas? You know, like, you kind of, yeah. Right. Yeah. But again, proudest moment, still here, (laughs) still here. Amazing, and I'm so, so thankful that you are still here, that you are thriving and the amazing person that you are. And same to you. And I am so glad that we're still friends and in contact. Yeah, yeah. I know it's been, goodness, how long has it been? I think we met when we were, like it was almost 20 years ago. More than. More than. Oh, my God. Hold on. We must have met when we were, like, 10 or 11 or something. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, and we're nearing, as you said, 40. So there we go. Amazing. And what a journey it's been on both sides. On both sides. Yeah. Let's transition a little bit to thinking about how you think your unique journey and all of its different attributes, how it's given rise to your unique assets or even superpowers. Honestly, I'm half idealist, half realist, right? So 
like eternal optimist in me always saw my difficulty well looking back in hindsight it made me i think more compassionate i think my superpower is i understand my journey my difficulties and i know every single person i meet is going through something or has gone through something you know so it allows me to be a little bit more patient, a little bit more understanding. It's this thing I call a self in the sea of selves. Like, I see myself as a self, and I fully understand what this self is, what I represent, what I stand for, like, don't like. And honestly, something that I am not such a fan of is this trend the main character trend you know because we're all main characters you know and that's what i mean by self in the sea of selves i can be standing in the subway doing my own thing in my own head every single person in that car with me is doing the same thing and i think that stems from again my compassion for just everyone i meet because having this difficulty in my life, I think, has allowed me to see that more in people. Right. Yeah, that's powerful. And you're right. I think everybody struggles or has struggled or will struggle in a deep way in, in some capacity. In some capacity. Yeah. And, and it makes us uniquely able to then be there for other people once we had our own kind of a journey in that way. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And as you think about what it takes to stay healthy and well and thriving today, what are your techniques or strategies for doing that? First and foremost, save up for yourself, whether it's time, money, or just like emotional space for yourself. You need to have a little bit of space for yourself, like whether it's you know, doing your hobby for 30 minutes a day, going for a walk, buying that new dress that you really wanted. Like, just do things for yourself. I think it's easy to burn out, to feel tired, to feel exhausted. Yeah. If you're just giving and giving and giving and doing and doing and doing, you need to do that for yourself also. That's, for me, the first. It could be as simple as cooking yourself a good breakfast, you know, little things like that. Don't see it as a chore. See it as doing yourself a favor. Really investing time and money in yourself. Second, you can't do it alone. You have to allow yourself to be supported by others. Tear those walls down. Like the people that say they're your friends, they can choose not to be. But if they say they're your friends, believe them. You know, allow yourself to be vulnerable with others. No, that's, that's super important. So how do you get yourself to a place where you do allow for other people to be let in, to be vulnerable with them, and to kind of feel safe doing that? I am a very practice what you preach kind of person. And like I said earlier, I am at my root an optimist, an idealist. So... When I meet a person, I will trust you 100%. Like, I will feel safe with you. I hope you feel safe with me until you give me a reason not to. <laughs> so, like, no topic is taboo, you know. No feeling is ever shamed. Because for me, feelings are truth, right? Like, you feel something that's true right in that moment. And you tell me you're sad, 
be sad. You tell me you're angry, be angry. But let's talk about it. Let's process it. It's safe with me. And because those are the kind of relationships I want to foster with the people that know me, I don't demand it from the people that are in my life. But I do feel that if you are a certain way with people, it's reciprocated back to you. And do you feel like these two factors that you spoke about really being your own best advocate, really investing in yourself and then allowing other people in and having that sense of community, those are two big tenets to really building and sustaining mental health. Yes, I think so. Like, give yourself a break. You know how hard you're trying. So give yourself a break. Cut yourself some slack. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to change your mind, you know. So give yourself a break. And take a break with people you love. Basically, yeah. I love that. All of what you just shared. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks again for having me. Yeah. Of course. So our final question for the eternal optimist is what are your hopes for our collective future? I have a lot of hopes. Yeah, I have a lot. But I think on a human level, I would really just love for people to be more compassionate, to be more understanding, to be more patient. I would love for people to see the differences that make us unique, that make us who we are. I would love for people to see them as strengths, you know. Collectively, we're better because we're different. I really do believe that. And all of our unique experiences, our unique heritage, identities, skin colors, cultures, like added together, just makes things so much more complex, richer, nuanced, you know, and, you know, things that have given us shame for no reason, transness, being brown, being black, being queer, I want them to be celebrated or even at worst, just benign, you know, like, oh, she's trans, oh, she's vegetarian, oh, she's left-handed. It just becomes like an aspect of the self that has no judgment, has no moral weight or anything. It just is. It's a fact about that person. Yeah. I love that vision. From your mouth to everyone's ears. Out into the world. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your story, your insights, and for spreading the light. Really appreciate the person that you are. Thank you for having me. Honestly, like I'm getting goosebumps right now. Like it's, it, it feels good, like ending like this. It feels good. Again, so thank glad. you for having me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Lovely to have you here. Thank you again. Take care. Mm-hmm.